0: of His saving work on our behalf. And it is so good to see you and to hear you sing this morning. If you have a Bible, please open to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Last week, we began now the last section, the last major section of this wonderful book as we began to consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now this morning, we will begin to look at the first post-resurrection appearance of Christ again last week in looking at verses 1 to 10 brother Steve reminded us that we have good reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ the apostle John would put before us multiple truths for us to see and to know and to believe that point to the fact that Jesus is indeed risen from the tomb and John 1 us to see this and to know this. You can see on your outline, just to review and recap, just a few of these. Firstly, there is the evidence of the open door. There's this evidence of the open door as Mary Magdalene and then Peter and John would come to the tomb and they would see that the stone has been removed. And as we saw last week, it is not reasonable to to assume that the eleven Fearful, hiding disciples attacked and overpowered the trained Roman soldiers to then open the tomb. It is not reasonable to suggest that the religious leaders who wanted to make sure that Jesus stayed in that tomb, who requested the Roman soldiers, it's not reasonable to to presume that they removed the door, that they rolled away the stone. And it's certainly not reasonable to suggest that the Roman soldiers removed it. It was their job to guard the tomb their lives were on the line they had no reason to remove that stone the tomb is open because jesus is risen and john wants us to see that and to know that not only that there is the evidence of the empty tomb the the body is missing where did the body go Now some who want to try and deny the reality of the resurrection have put forward something called the wrong tomb theory. And it goes something like this. Mary Magdalene, when she went to the tomb, she simply made a mistake. And 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 she went to the to the wrong tomb. And then the other women with her, they also went to the wrong tomb. It was dark. They were, they were tired. They were exhausted. They were, they were grief uh, stricken. It was a mistake, but it was an understandable mistake. But this becomes difficult to believe when we start to ask other questions. Did Peter and John also run to the wrong tomb? Did the Jewish leaders also go to the wrong tomb when they went to investigate the matter? And were the Roman soldiers guarding the wrong tomb? And if they were in fact guarding the right tomb, couldn't the Roman soldiers have simply spoken up and said, Guys, we're over here! You're at the wrong tomb! Jesus is buried here! No, of course not. This is silly to suggest that they went to the wrong tomb and found the body missing. The fact is they went to the right tomb... And it was empty, and the door was removed because God wanted there to be an empty tomb to testify to the fact that Jesus was risen. Not only that, we also saw and talked about last week the grave clothes. The grave clothes that were simply lying there. The most common objection to the reality of the resurrection of Christ is that the body was stolen. But this is hard to believe. This is hard to swallow in light of the grave clothes that we see lying there, a rock would not have taken the time to carefully unwrap the body to leave the clothes there and to fold up the cloth and to leave it sitting nicely there. Also, additionally, when we think about the spices, the ointments that had been mixed into the wrappings, it would have been virtually impossible to cleanly unwrap the body and then to steal it. And lastly, then we, 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 we saw last week the eyewitness testimony. There is eyewitness testimony. Mary Magdalene, saw these things. Peter and John saw these things. The open door, the empty tomb, the orderly abandoned grave closed. See, the Apostle John is not saying, I want you to believe in the resurrection because I talked to a guy who had a friend, whose brother worked with a guy, whose cousin said that this was true. No, that's not what John is suggesting to us. John is saying, I'm an eyewitness to these things. I've seen these things myself, and I testify to you that Jesus is risen. The Apostle Peter would later hit on this same theme in his little book, which we call Second Peter. In chapter 1, verse 16, Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses, says Peter, says John. But this raises another obvious question. Why does John care so much whether or not you believe in the resurrection? Why does it matter to John? I mean, we could sugge- we could say to John, we could suggest to him, John, can't you just leave me alone? Just leave me alone. Uh, let me believe whatever I want to believe about Jesus. Why, why do you care so much, John? Why is this so important to you? We'll skip ahead just a few verses to John chapter 20. Look at verse 31. John is passionate that you know and believe In the resurrection, in the risen Lord and Savior for this reason, John writes, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So brothers and sisters, John is not indifferent to your belief or to your unbelief. John wants you to have the gift of eternal life. John wants you to worship Christ, to be a child of God, to know and experience the joys and the blessings and the benefits that come from being a child of God. And that brings us to our text for this morning. That brings us now again back to Mary Magdalene and to this first post-resurrection appearance of Christ. As you well know, after Jesus was risen from the grave, He appeared to specific individuals and to specific groups of individuals for specific reasons. Listen, Jesus was not haphazard. He was not random. He was not doing magic tricks to goof off and to just waste time while He was waiting to ascend to the Father like here I am, and now I'm disappeared, and now I'm gonna show up again, and no, when Jesus did this, when He appeared to specific individuals, to groups of individuals, He wanted to communicate something precious and important to them, and it is recorded for our benefit. So in these next few weeks, as we study these post-resurrection appearances of Christ, we ought to be asking ourselves questions like this. What is the purpose Of this appearance? What is Jesus trying to teach or to show his disciples and us? So let's return now to the garden. Let's return now back to the empty tomb. Peter and John have now left. They have traveled back to town and Mary Magdalene is now alone. Or so she thinks. Look again at verses 11 to 18 of John chapter 20. these things to her. So reads the words of the living God. Let's pray. Gracious Father... It is a simple message that we read, that Jesus gave to Mary Magdalene to give to the disciples, but it is a message of infinite importance and value. It is a message we need to hear, we need to rightly understand. So, Father, come and be our help by the ministry and work of your Spirit. Give us understanding that we would know, that we would love, that we would apply this wonderful truth. Father, bring much praise and honor and glory to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' good and precious name. Amen. This morning, we want to ask and answer predominantly five main questions. These five questions will serve as our outline for this morning, but I must warn you that the fifth question will then give birth to three more questions, which we will answer as well, but I promise you, by the time this is all done, you'll be so glad that we have asked these eight questions. So here are the five main questions, and then we'll get to the last three when the time is right. Question number one, why did Jesus first appear to Mary Magdalene? Why her? Question number two, why did Mary return to the tomb with Peter and John? What was she seeking? Question number three, why didn't Mary immediately recognize Jesus? Question number four, why wouldn't Jesus allow Mary to cling to him? Question number five, then what is the meaning and significance of the message that Jesus gives to Mary. So firstly, please note this on your outline. Question number 1, why did Jesus first appear to Mary Magdalene? Have you ever have you ever wondered about this? Why appear to Mary Magdalene first? Now, I do think that there are perhaps a few possible reasons for this, but before we consider those reasons, please note this on your outline. There is a fundamental problem with this question that reveals something ugly about us. The fact is, when we ask questions like this, we actually reveal something very unpleasant, even ugly about us. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, we didn't ask the question. You did. That's true. I know that. But I am sure that if I would have given you enough time to study this passage and to consider this passage and to read these verses over, eventually you would have asked questions similar to this. You would have asked, why did Jesus first appear to Mary? Why not appear to Peter first? Isn't Peter a, a very big, important apostle? Why not appear to John first? Isn't John the disciple whom Jesus loved? Why not appear to Caiaphas? I mean, wouldn't that have been beautiful for Jesus to show up at Caiaphas' door and, and for Caiaphas to open it and Jesus says, hey, do you, do you remember me? We have some unfinished business, Caiaphas. Or, or, or for Jesus to go and appear before Pilate so that Pilate would know who, who possesses true authority. Who is the true king? Who is the true Lord? Why did Jesus appear? To marry Magdalene first. See, the problem with asking questions like this is that it often reveals that we are prone to rank people and to evaluate people and to place certain people over, over other people. And listen, when we do this, it reveals our pride, it reveals our arrogance, and most sad of all, it reveals that we do not rightly understand the grace of God. Let me ask you this. Did Mary Magdalene deserve to have Jesus appear to her first? No, of course not. But did Peter deserve To have Jesus appear to Him first? No, of course not. Did John and James and Thomas, did did they deserve to have Jesus appear to them first? Did Caiaphas, the, the religious big shots, and Pilate, the political big shots, did they deserve to have Jesus appear to them first? No, the fact is, this is grace. That Jesus appears at all. This is grace that Jesus has come, that He has laid down His life, that He has conquered sin and death, that He has rose triumphant, and that in love and mercy and grace to Mary Magdalene, He now appears to her. To give her an important message to give to the disciples. This scene reminds us that God so often loves to use and to bless. Those that the world does not highly value or does not highly esteem. God loves to show grace to those who are despised, to those who are so often discarded as unimportant. The fact is, before coming to know Jesus, Mary Magdalene was living a horrific life. Luke chapter 8 tells us that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. She was a tormented woman. She had been living a hell-on-earth existence, but Jesus had set her free. And she loved Christ, and she was distraught at, at His death. And so in great kindness, in amazing grace... Jesus chooses to appear to her to magnify the grace of God, to encourage this dear sister who had experienced the life-changing power of Christ. Question number two on your outline. Why did Mary return to the tomb with Peter and John anyway? What was she seeking? Remember, Mary had come to the tomb early in the morning and then discovering the stone had been rolled away. She had ran back to get Peter and John. Why did she then return now with Peter and John? Well, I think it's obvious from the text that she was not looking for a resurrected Christ. Mary did not return to the grave expecting to see Jesus risen. She is very clearly looking for the body of Jesus. The text makes this abundantly clear. Look again at verse 11. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, not, Christ the Lord is risen today. No, that was not her answer. That's, she's not thinking resurrection yet. Her answer is this, They've taken away My Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. She's still looking for the body of Jesus. Here she stoops into the tomb and she sees two, two angels. Now presumably she most likely did not recognize them as angels. They probably looked like two individuals to her. Maybe she thought they were also curious about this stone that had been rolled away and the missing body of 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 Jesus. But she is looking for the body. And as she stoops in and is looking, the angels ask her a very curious question. They say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? Now, we don't naturally hear the emphasis of their question in our English translations, but this is a question of astonishment. This is a question asked by the angels that communicate astonishment at the fact that she is weeping. This verse could be translated like this. The question could be translated, Mary, why are you of all things weeping? Why are you weeping? It's almost like a gentle rebuke. Mary, in light of what's happened, you shouldn't be crying. Why are you Weeping. Now obviously the angels know that Jesus is risen, but Mary does, does not yet know. And before we get to Jesus making himself known to Mary, there is something that is very precious and right and good about Mary's conversation with the angels. Please note this on your outline. Mary rightly refers to Jesus as my Lord my lord and that is so good mary knows that jesus is lord and she confesses him as my lord she may not yet fully understand the reality of the resurrection but mary regards jesus as lord and friend i hope that you can say the same thing this morning i hope that to you jesus is not just some religious figure I hope that Jesus is not just some historical mystic guru I hope you this morning as we sit here can say that Jesus is Lord that he is your Lord that he is king that he is God that he is worthy of your love that he is worthy of your worship and of your trust so why was it that Mary returned to the tomb with Peter and John she was seeking In great love, in great heartache, the body of Jesus. She was not yet thinking resurrection. Now look again at verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 says, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Next question, question number three on your outline. Why didn't Mary immediately recognize Jesus? Why, why does she think that he is the gardener? Now, before we answer this question, please note again just the love and the devotion that Mary has for Jesus. Notice what it is that she offers to do for the body of Jesus. What, what is it that Mary says that she desires to do? She desires to take take the body, to carry the body away, and to care for the body of Jesus. Now, just imagine that for a moment. Mary, who is strained physically and emotionally. She's probably not slept much the past couple of days. She is mourning Jesus' death. She is tired. She is filled with grief. Uh, she comes first to the tomb early in the morning. She is exhausted while it is still dark. She runs back into town to find Peter and John. She then travels the distance back to the tomb. She no doubt is exhausted. And now after all of that, she says that she is prepared to carry away the body of Jesus. She is prepared to carry the weight of a dead man and 75 pounds, of burial spices that have been mixed into the wrappings which would be covering the body of Jesus. How is she going to do that? How does Mary possibly think she's going to do this? And where would she take the body if she did find it, if she did discover it? Truthfully, she probably has no idea. She hasn't quite most likely thought that far ahead. All she knows is that she loves Christ. She wants to honor His body. She wants to care for Him. In this instance, her love clearly exceeds her ability. And that is a precious thing. She loves Jesus. She wants to honor Him. And so, this again brings us back to our original question. Why didn't she recognize Jesus? If she loved Him so much and she cared for Him so deeply, why doesn't she recognize Jesus when He is standing so close and even speaking with her? Well, please note this on your outline, not recognizing the resurrected Christ is a recurring theme throughout the Gospels. It is not uncommon for someone to meet the resurrected Christ and to not recognize him. We see this very thing happen again in Luke chapter 24. Here Jesus meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They do not recognize Jesus. They are traveling with him, talking with him, and yet there is a specific moment in time where Jesus opens their hearts and minds to see him and to recognize him for for who he is. And yet they do not know him until Jesus chooses to reveal himself to them. We see this again in John chapter 21 verse 4. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And in this instance, even when Jesus begins to speak with, with them, they still do not recognize Jesus until that moment in time when Jesus chooses to reveal himself and to make himself known to them. And I think we see a very Precious truth being illustrated here. Please make note of it on your outline. No one can recognize Jesus for who he truly is until he reveals himself to them. Jesus, in his perfect sovereignty, he wields complete authority over all things, including the knowledge of himself. Jesus reveals himself to his people in his timing and in his choosing. Jesus would say this very thing in Luke chapter 10, verse 22. Jesus said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Without the work of God in our lives, we could never know God the way we should. We could never know Christ for who He truly is and for what He has accomplished on, on our behalf. Now, here's what this means, brothers and sisters. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, do not Pat yourself on the back like you are so smart. You are so much better than those unbelievers who just haven't figured it out yet. You are the spiritual elite. You really have your act together. You have put all the pieces in place and you have figured it out all on your own. Not so not so God in His infinite mercy and grace has revealed Himself to you that you may know Him, that you may respond in faith and worship to Him. But it is God's gracious work to open blinded eyes and to exchange cold dead hearts for a heart of flesh that we may know the living God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. The the fact is, God deserves the credit. Not us. God deserves the credit for our salvation, for our ability to see and to know Christ for who He is. Look again at verse 16. John chapter 20, verse 16. Here, Jesus chooses now to reveal Himself. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, one word, Mary. She turned and said to Him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Here, Jesus simply through saying her name reveals himself to her and she sees him. And based on what Jesus says next, it would seem that Mary either falls at his feet and just grabs onto him or perhaps she just gives him a big hug right there in the garden and she latches on to him. But the point is she is thrilled. She is, this is beyond her imagination to now see that Christ is risen, that he is alive. Her Lord lives. And she now knows this. And so she is overwhelmed. And again, based on what Jesus says next, she either falls at his feet and grabs onto him or just grabs onto him and gives him a hug right then and there. But this then leads us to our next question, a very obvious question based on what Jesus says to her. Look again at verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Question number four on your outline. Why wouldn't Jesus allow Mary to cling to him? I mean... It almost seems a little cold, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus is risen! And here Mary is, is overcome with joy and she grabs onto him and Jesus says, Do not cling to me? Come on! What, what did you expect her to do? You know. So what's going on here? Why does Jesus say this to her? What is it? That Mary needs to learn, that Mary needs to understand. What is this precious truth that Jesus wants her to go and to communicate then to the other disciples? Well, please note this on your outline. Jesus wants Mary to know and understand that he must, he must ascend to the Father. Jesus must now ascend to the Father. He is risen. He has conquered sin, Satan, hell, and death. But now He must, in just a few short days, ascend to the Father. If I can say it this way, and I think you'll understand what it is that I'm trying to say here, Mary needs to understand that this is not the second coming. I mean, this is not the second coming yet. Yes, Jesus is risen and he is victorious, but he is going to ascend to the Father. He is going to leave earth. He's not going to remain in a in a bodily presence kind of way. And Jesus wants Mary to understand that, to know that, and to be prepared for what is coming. Again, at this point, Mary's love exceeds her understanding. Jesus wants her to know to be prepared for the fact that he is, in a short time, going to ascend to the Father, to to be at the right hand of the Father. He is going to send the promised Holy Spirit that, that the blessing of God may be poured out upon his believers. But in the meantime, Jesus has a very special message and mission For Mary Magdalene. Look again at verses 17 and 18. Here it is. Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Question number five on your outline. What is the meaning and significance of this message that Jesus gives to Mary? Now, before we answer that question, notice how Jesus gently and tenderly corrects her and then he elevates her and bestows upon her this profound honor that she's now going to communicate a message from the risen Christ to to the disciples. Essentially, Jesus says, instead of clinging to me, Mary, I have a job for you to do. I have something so important that I need you to go and communicate to the disciples. I'm going to send you as my messenger to the disciples. And this message that Jesus gives her to communicate is a message of comfort. It is a message of triumph. It is a message of victory. And we could summarize it this way. Relationships have changed relationships have changed you you could say that the good news of the gospel is the good news that our relationship with god in christ can be restored that we can be reconciled to god jesus fixes he restores what sin has destroyed because of sin we are spiritually dead We are separated from God. We are enemies of God. But notice this precious message that Jesus gives to Mary. Go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, at first glance this morning, I I, I understand that As I read this, this might not seem that earth-shattering to you. This might not seem so incredible and so wonderful and and so amazing, but this is because, brothers and sisters, we have become so comfortable with thinking of God as our Father that we hardly even notice anymore the magnitude of Jesus' words. Walk back with me through Jesus' message and let's take it line by line, piece by piece, and perhaps this might be a good way for us to think of Jesus' message. First of all, Jesus says, go to my brothers. Stop there for a moment. Go to my brothers. Jesus is my brother? He... He's Lord. He is King. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the way and the truth and the life. It would be... Listen, I would be content to be His slave. I would be content to be called His servant. I would be overwhelmed to be considered His friend. But that He regards us and calls us and makes us brothers? That is overwhelming. We should be struck by the blessing of the gospel. But that's not where Jesus ends. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father. Stop there. And, and, and to that we say, fine. Uh, of course, absolutely, uh, 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 Jesus has every right to call the Father His Father. Jesus has every right as the holy, righteous, perfect, sinless Son to, to speak of Himself as the Son of God and as God as as his father but jesus doesn't stop there he says that he is ascending to to his father and to to our father he says i am ascending to my father and your father and to that we ought to stop and say what god could be my father again he is king he is sovereign ruler i am so wicked I am so sinful, I am so wretched, and, and He is so pure, He is so holy. How could I ever thought, how could I ever think to be His Son? How is this possible? But Jesus goes on. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God. And again, to that we say, fine. Jesus has every right to speak of God the Father in such a possessive way. Jesus has every right to say of the Father, I am His, and He is mine. That that makes perfect sense. Jesus, as the holy, righteous, blameless Son of God, can say of the Father, I am His, and He is mine. And that makes perfect sense. But then Jesus goes on, and you're God your God. Hold on, you mean like Christ, I can say of God, I am His and He is mine. Yes, in Christ, we have been brought into a permanent loving relationship with God. That is truly unspeakable. That testifies to blessings and joys that we will experience for all of eternity. Please note this on your outline. The message that Jesus gives Mary to proclaim is one of adoption. One of adoption. In Christ, we are made children of God. Many theologians, I think rightly, speak of adoption as the highest, as the greatest of all gospel blessings. J.I. Packer writes, What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. And this is the glorious message that Jesus gives to Mary Magdalene to go and to proclaim to the disciples. And so based on this glorious message, this, this good news of adoption, we want to ask a few questions. Question number one, how and why were we adopted? Second question, what does our adoption practically mean for us? And then question number three, how should we now live in response to our adoption? Versely, how and why were we adopted? There's a few things we ought to say. Please note this on your outline. Your adoption was planned and accomplished not by you, but by God. Your adoption, you being in Christ, a child of God, this was accomplished by God. John 1.13 says that we are adopted and born again by the will of God, by the work of God on our behalf. The Apostle John says in First John 5 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you are a child of God, it is because God has done a work in you. He has done this work to give you life, to draw you to Himself. John writes again in 1 John 3, 1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's what John says. And so we are. It is too amazing to consider that God has loved us and made us children of God. And yet, here we are. And God has done this for the praise of His glory and for our good. Please note this on your outline. The blessing of adoption into God's family is something that we receive through Christ. We receive this through Christ John 112 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god jesus gives the right to become children of god to everyone who receives him who believes in him who turns to him we must be cleansed of our sins we must be made righteous and jesus does this jesus gives us the right to become children of God because Jesus gives us a righteousness we did not earn, a righteousness that we do not deserve by His work, His merit, His life. We are adopted, we are given this right, this privilege through Christ. And so Jesus says, yes, Mary, go tell them that I'm risen, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. Galatians 3.26, Paul writes, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith. Brothers and sisters, we must place our faith, our trust in Christ. This means that we treasure Him. We embrace Him, all that He is, all that He accomplished for us. To believe in Christ is not a cold, sterile, intellectual exercise. It is a treasuring of Christ, an embracing of Him, a, a love for Him. There's another question, though, we should consider. 5B on your outline, what does our adoption practically mean for us? Well, note this on your outline. Our adoption means that we can gladly recognize and welcome the Father's authority in our lives. As you can well imagine, knowing God as Father has some pretty weighty implications. The word father all by itself implies a relationship. The word father implies a loving, firm, good authority that we ought to desire and seek after and welcome into our lives. And Jesus himself modeled this for us. Jesus showed the beauty of a life that is submitted to the will of God. Jesus can Continually emphasized that he had come down from heaven, not to do his own will, but to do the will of his father and how we ought to walk in Jesus' steps and long for God's will to be accomplished in our lives, that we would submit to the father's word, that we would submit to the father's will, embracing his love, his will, his authority for for our lives. Do not run From the Father's authority, embrace it, recognize it. Your Father is wise. Your Father is good. Your Father is working all things together for your ultimate good and for His glory, how we should trust Him and how we should embrace His word and His will for our lives. But not only that, please note this on your outline. Our adoption means that we can rejoice in the loving affection that now exists between us and God. We studied this uh, somewhat extensively back in John chapter 17, where Jesus was praying to the Father, and in this high priestly prayer in verse 23, Jesus underscores the fact that one day The world will know one day the magnitude of God's love will be revealed in such a way that all will know that He loves us, His adopted children, just as He loves His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 17, verse 23, Jesus in praying to the Father says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Brothers and sisters, that is our future. That is the future, that is the present reality even for every believer, that for ever and ever we will enjoy and live in the eternal, infinite, glorious love of God for us that comes to us through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But not only that, note this on your outline, our adoption means that we are made brothers and co-heirs with Christ. Jesus has already made this abundantly clear in his words to Mary Magdalene, where he says to her, go to my brothers, go to my brothers and say to them. Jesus calls his disciples, his followers, brothers, and this, this is amazing. This is amazing in light of the fact that there are many titles by which it is good and right and appropriate for us to call Jesus. It is right for us to call Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, that He is Sovereign Lord and King, that He is Master, that He is Emmanuel, that He is the Prince of Peace, that He is Mighty God, and in light of our salvation, it is good and right that we call Him Brother. Jesus himself again said in Mark 3:35 for whoever does the will of God he is my brother and sister and mother. The point is we are family. We are brought into the family of God through Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2 the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus because he has saved us and sanctified us he is not ashamed to call us brothers And then Paul in Romans 8 verse 16, Paul writes, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For all eternity, we will share with Christ in His glory. This is the reality. This is the result of our adoption in Christ. Now, there is one last question for us to consider, but it will be up to you to answer it. And the question is this, 5C on your outline. How should we now live in response to our adoption? On the bottom of your outline, there are some questions. There are verses to prompt your thinking in this area. And I want you sometime today, tonight, tomorrow, sometime this week to give thought and consideration to these questions, to these verses that we may now live appropriately and rightly in response to this glorious message of adoption that Jesus Christ announces. Listen, because of what Christ has done, Because relationships have changed, because Christ is our brother, because we are now adopted into God's family, that can and should transform everything about us. It should change the way we trust our Father, the way we look to Him. It should change the way we pray. It should change the way we seek to imitate and follow and glorify our Father in heaven. And of course, Jesus knows this. Jesus knows all of this. And so he says to Mary, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Christ is risen. Christ has conquered. He has ascended to the right hand of the father. In him, we are adopted into God's family and brothers and sisters, this changes everything. Let's pray. Gracious Father, it is indeed our joy to call you Father, to know that we are loved, that we are made your children all because of what Christ has done for us. Father, may our lives, our attitudes, our prayers, our actions, our love reflect this precious truth as we live for your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.